The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Good morning, church. My name is Rob Fraser. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for being here this morning. A uh, couple of programming notes for you inside your program. You have one of these. It's entitled, Who is Your One More? So we're being called this month to think about who is somebody that I know that doesn't know Jesus, that really needs to know Jesus, that I can invite. So this card is for that. On the reverse side, there are some suggestions on how you can do that, ways that you can interact with other people to engage them. So I'd encourage you to put this like in your bathroom mirror, on your fridge, something like that, and to be praying for your one more. Also want to say thank you for coming here on Super Bowl Sunday. I know a lot of you are excited to watch the game. Um, we're going to be out of here in plenty of time, about two o'clock, so you're going to be good, all right? <laughs> I grew up uh, hanging out with my cousins on both sides of the family quite a bit. And one side of the, of the family really cultured me. Uh, they lived in L.A., and so they took me to these such fine events as going to see Flash Gordon in the movie theaters, which will date me. Uh, if you don't know, that was a long time ago. Uh, I think the only movie my parents had ever taken me to was Fiddler on the Roof. So fortunately, my cousins, you know, upped the game. They took me to the World Series in 1981, back when tickets were affordable. Uh, they also took me to see the Who's production of Tommy at the Universal Amphitheater in college. Uh, that was a blast. And then one other thing that they took me to was something called Roller Derby. <laughs> All right, I told you, I'm very cultured. So, uh, Roller Derby is this crazy event, and I'm probably like nine or ten years old when they do this, and they talk about people skating around in this rink, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I, you know, I go skating every once in a while for birthday parties like that. I'm not really good at it, but it's really fun. This should be fun to go see. Well, we get to this place in L.A. It's this brick building. It's a hole in the wall. It smells. I mean, decades later, I can still recall this. And here we have these two teams, a team from L.A., a team from Chicago, I think. And the men go first and the women go second. And they take turns and they're skating around this rink and they are destroying each other. They are elbowing each other in the face. They're pushing each other over the rail. Um, they're gathering hands together to spin their teammate faster. I don't know the rules of it, but it's the sport of violent collisions. And I remember being very disturbed at a young age. My wife, on the other hand, loves when we go see hockey. She just loves the violence of it. So <laughs> collisions to me are usually a bad thing. Think about freeway collisions. Uh, growing up, we would go to Magic Mountain and there's a scary highway, 126, that way back in the day was called Blood Alley. It's just this two-way road where you're absolutely risking your life. Now, Highway 46 between Paso Robles and I-5, middle of nowhere, this road has no lights, and you're driving this road, risking your life, and the local hospital, unfortunately, saw way too many people uh, in the ER from these collisions. Figuratively, collisions can also be a bad thing. You know the expression about when worlds collide. Maybe there's a new medical reality in your life that you are now limited to do something that you used to do all the time. 
Or maybe you remember walking into class as a freshman in college, a history class, and hearing stories about American history that do not resemble the stories that you learned in elementary school. Wait, what do you mean that the first Thanksgiving was probably the last time that the Europeans, European settlers and the natives got along? The slaughter of people? Segregation? Presidents own slaves? Wait, wait a minute. And when you have these experiences and you hear this for the first time, it's like jumping into an icy river. It just sends shockwaves up and down your body. And it takes you a while to gather what's going on. Sometimes collisions are a necessary thing, however. And what I want to tell you now is buckle your seatbelts because you're in for a good one this morning. We've been reading the book of Acts now for about 16 years. <laughs> not true, not true, just kidding. The book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are biographies on the life of Jesus, right? So Jesus is crucified, comes back from the dead, ascends into heaven, and then you've got the book of Acts, which is the start of the church. And it's the story of how the Holy Spirit moves through people to spread the gospel and to build the church. So as Ed read, you found out that Paul and Barnabas are led by the Holy Spirit to the island of Cyprus. Cyprus is about 100 miles away from Antioch. They sailed there and they go all over the island and they go first of all to synagogues and so they find those who are Jewish there to make those interactions and try to point or put things together and say, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. Now we also know that this is not the first time that Christians have come to this place. A couple chapters before in chapter 11, we find out that Christians have come, have been spread all over uh, because of the persecution when uh, Stephen was, was martyred. Christians were sent everywhere. And we find out in chapter 11 that Cyprus is one of the places that Christians land. And in Cyprus, one of those cities is Paphos. And that is where we have a collision of worlds. When Saul and Barnabas are preaching, and even the governor, the most powerful person on the island, wants to hear what's going on. And as he listens to this message, one of his friends, one of his counselors, a guy named Bar-Jesus, interferes and wants to block the words that these guys are speaking. So if you take these three main characters, it's kind of like a joke, right? You got a preacher and a politician and a sorcerer walk into a bar and, and here's what happens. So Saul is the Hebrew name. Um, his name in Greek is Paul. He was set apart, set apart by the Holy Spirit to communicate the gospel. And in your New Testament, many of your New Testament letters are authored by Paul. Sergius Paulus is the governor of Cyprus, again, part of the Roman Empire. He's a smart man. He's an intellectual. And he's replaceable. He knows that at any moment he could lose his job. He himself has no military backing. He has no military power. So if he wants to keep his job, if he wants to stay in power, he's got to keep the peace as much as possible. So you can imagine that he would have advisors around him, people that represent perhaps the different factions, the people groups on his island, so that he will be educated and understand 
the nuances of governing all these people groups. Part of that constituency is a guy named Elemas or Bar-Jesus. Now you see the name Bar-Jesus, it has nothing to do with Jesus. Most likely it's the name Jesus or Joshua, which was a very common name uh, among Jews. And so he perhaps was the son of Joshua, or perhaps he changed his name as Bar-Jesus, as the son of Jesus, to, you know, capitalize on the hype of the, the new name of Jesus. He is a not, he's not a practicing Jew. Perhaps he grew up in a Jewish household where his uh, parents went to the synagogue. And so he knows enough about Judaism to be dangerous. But he is not living the life of a faithful Jew. We know that he is a sorcerer. And this is not like a magician, right? This is not somebody in Vegas. This is not David Copperfield. This is not somebody pulling rabbits out of his hat or these handkerchiefs out of his sleeve. This is somebody specifically who is summoning a power who is not God, directly or indirectly uh, seeking the power of Satan in which to perform um, his magic. We also know that he is a false prophet and that the words coming out of his mouth as a prophet are not from God, but from somewhere else. So he's either intentionally deceiving people with words, with lies, that he knows are lies, or he is hearing a voice that is not the voice of God and what he's saying. So we have these three humans that converge on this point, and this is where we have the collision, where Paul is preaching the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah, and Elymas tries to block the ears of the governor. And any firefighter or any chemist will tell you that when they have three specific elements, you've got an explosion. It's called the fire triangle. Oxygen, fuel, heat. You throw all these things together, kaboom. And here we have the collision. If you brought a Bible with you, would you please open it up to the book of Acts chapter 13? There are Bibles that look just like this that are in the chairs right in front of you. If you have one of these, it's on page 917. We're going to start off with verse 9. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Because Elemas has interfered, Paul explodes. The Holy Spirit moves through him in a powerful way. And he yells out, lies! You are a liar! You are a child of the devil! You are deceiving these people. You are distorting the word of God. The words that he explains there are like a, a potter's clay, right? That the pot itself is misshapen on the wheel. You, Elemas, are a dangerous human being. Verse 11. Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and to lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. For he was astonished at the teaching 
about the Lord. Truth comes to town for Elymas. It's revealed. He is overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think about a movie where there's, in slow motion, there's a, a building that explodes, for example, right? And what happens? The people that are nearby, in slow motion, they are thrown backwards 30 yards in the air to the ground and not a scratch on their body to get up and run away, right? Elemis is incapacitated. He's blinded. He's crawling around on the ground, blinded, groping. Help, please, somebody save me. Romans 16.20 tells us that when we have a collision between God and Satan, there's no contest. That Jesus defeats Satan. The God of peace crushes him. Truth is also revealed to the governor. And he hears about Jesus. And the word astounded is used. What is he astounded about? Is he astounded that his close personal friend has gone blind and is, around, is on the ground trying to find somebody to help? The word tells us he is astounded at the teaching of Jesus Christ, of the hope that he has in the gospel, that his creator loves him deeply. That is what astounds him. And because of that, he is compelled to give his life to Jesus Christ. In our lives, when truth comes to town, get ready for the collision. When truth comes to town, get ready for the collision. About six weeks ago was January 1st. What is it that many of us do? We come up with New Year's resolutions. Did anybody do that this year? Nobody, just me. Okay. Well, one of my New Year's resolutions was to read a couple books a month. I'm only like a book and a half behind right now, so doing pretty good. Very often when we come up with decisions on these resolutions, it has to do with health and fitness and weight loss. And if you fall into that category, and if I was to put a scale at the doors as you exit today, and you stood on that scale, would you look at that thing and say, man, these shoes weigh 10 pounds? <laughs> or would you feel, eh, something's going on here. Scales reveal truth. Another way that the scripture uses this is through light and darkness, the metaphor. Jesus, we are told that he is light. John chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. If you walk into a dark room, you turn on the light, everything is visible. Everything is exposed. The light exposes darkness. 2,000 years after this story, has anything really changed? Have we really progressed as a society, as a race, as a humanity? How many of you in here know any Roman governors? Okay, well, maybe not specifically, but anybody know anybody that's intelligent, that surrounds himself with great advice, knows all the latest trends, and does everything that he can to please others so that he can keep power? Anybody? How about any Jewish sorcerers? Do you know any Jewish sorcerers? Well, how about people that smack of religious 
or moral authority, may even be self-professed prophets who gain power by illegitimate means and they lie to make a name for themselves. All right, maybe we're getting close. There are a lot of influential voices today out there. It could be intelligent people, right? Like, you know, preachers, of course, right? Uh, could be like teachers or professors or hosts of podcasts. Or what about advertisers who are so influential that prey on your insecurities so that they can make more money? What about the media? Did you know that a PhD is not required to establish a social media account? And that you can have any kind of opinion that you want, regardless of whether or not you did any research, and make a statement to the world. What about television media? There's a, a sad story about a Christian organization in town here. Something happened a couple weeks ago. It was awful. A news station from Los Angeles came down and made it worse. Because they were not after the truth. They were trying to drum up more information. And the news report was so twisted and the people that they had involved in that interview that they got a good story. That way that person could make a name for himself and they could pay their advertisers. Did you know that the word for Satan is a slanderer? Some of you, some people we might know that are directly influenced by the occult, by Satan himself who according to scripture masquerades as an angel of light. One of the biggest mantras you may hear today that I hear all the time is live your truth. From what I can understand, living your truth means living out your giftedness to the max. Be all that you can be. Use the gifts that you've been given Use your proclivities to express yourself. The other way of saying that is, hey, you do you. If you want to give your kid a candy bar and soda for breakfast, hey, you do you. If you want to have kids and name them Jupiter and Saturn and Venus and Pluto, hey, you do you. If you want to completely embrace Embrace immodesty in the way that you dress so that you can garner attention, so that you can make a name for yourself and build your self-esteem. Hey, you do you. Now, at its best, living your truth has a great message, right? It tells us that you are a special human being, that you can do amazing things and that you have tremendous value, that you are no accident, but unfortunately, if you embrace that philosophy of living your truth, if you walk that out to its greatest extent, it's a dangerous thing. There is no limit. That means that each person in this room defines what is right and what is wrong. And anything goes. So financially, if I want to make a whole bunch of money, and along the way, it happens to hurt a few people and I exploit some. Hey, you know what? I'm just living my truth. Don't tell me what to do. Or what about expressing your sexuality? 
if there are absolutely no limits, then hey, that means there is no minimum age in which a partner could get together with. Six years old, eight years old, hey, you know what? I am living my truth. I define right. I define wrong. And the only ceiling that we seem to have on that is possibly what our government says or the court of public opinion. So when the majority of people cry out about your action, well, then we know that because the majority made a decision, that makes it right or that makes it wrong. Living your truth is a well-meaning sentiment, but when it gets out of hand, basically it comes down to self-worship. It's, it's all about me. I am God. I only answer to myself. When truth comes to town, we got to get ready for the collision. So I'm backing this car up. I'm sticking it back into first gear. And here we go again. I'm going to run you over. If you're a follower of Jesus and you read your Bible and pray and you worship, anybody do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Pro probably not. Which means that you likely have outside influences. There are other voices in your life speaking truth or speaking lies. They could be authors, friends, family members, the media. And what you and I do is we end up blending the word of God with what surrounds us. So on a good day, I can be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ who happens to live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. Maybe I get to go to the beach. I have a great house. But on a bad day, I, I know no, just enough about this and just enough about that story to be dangerous. But in all reality, what I really love is shopping, golfing, drinking, vacationing. And pretty soon, you weigh the evidence of my life, and it really looks like I am my own God. Maybe I even look up some passages and, ooh, don't like that one, not going to do that one. That one's too hard. No, that doesn't work with my philosophy. And pretty soon, I've developed a Christianity on my own terms. And so I pick and choose what I like. The $2 word for the day is syncretism. It's a blending of two things. For me, maybe it's the word of God and hey, whatever gives me a great, comfortable life. Truth came to town a couple thousand years ago through a blinding light. And not just to a guy named Elemis. It was to one of the other guys in that threesome. A guy named Saul, who in his own words in the book of Philippians said that, hey, I was the epitome of a faithful Jew. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was an Israelite. I was part of the tribe of Benjamin. And in terms of obeying the law, hey, completely faultless. Paul, or Saul at that point, was living his truth. But did he have a passionate understanding of God? Did he know the grace of Jesus Christ? No. And then one day for Saul, truth came to town. 
he was blinded. And he heard the voice of Jesus. And he turned his life around 180 degrees. When truth comes to town, get ready for the collision. If you are watching today, if you are here this morning, you either are a follower of Jesus Christ or you are seeking truth. And maybe you identify a little bit with early Saul, where maybe you have tried to obey the law and do every single thing right, but you completely lack the humility of Jesus. Or maybe this morning you identify a little bit with the governor who climbed that ladder, had tons of power. He was a company man, but he was still seeking and looking over his shoulder at his threats. And he, on the inside, empty. Maybe this morning you identify with LMS where you're mixing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Maybe some of this. And you are living your own truth. Living your truth is not truth. Living your truth really comes down to pleasure and comfort. And what each person in this room, in our world, has to reckon with are the words of Jesus in John 14. Jesus says this, are you ready? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a bold claim. If you work with somebody, if you have a neighbor that came and told you, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you would think, uh-huh, we'll see you later. We're, we're staying at home for the Super Bowl today. <laughs> Those words of Jesus are so bold that we have to reckon with it. Either he believes he was bold or either he believes he was or he didn't believe. Either he was crazy or he wasn't crazy. Jesus' words in John 8 says, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus Christ is your creator, sustainer, the Son of God, and the only way to the Father, the only way to eternal life. And if this is the first time you have ever heard this, you may feel like you just jumped into a freezing ocean. I remember a few years back in April jumping into the ocean, but it was a couple hundred miles north, and the water temperature is a little bit different. And after only 15 minutes, I was purple and I was shaking. And it took a couple hours to bring that body temperature back up. You may feel like that. You may feel like you've been blinded. You may feel like you've been leveled by a linebacker. You may feel like you've been stabbed. And guess what? In Hebrews, we find out that the word of God is kind of like that sword that stabs you. It's a little painful, maybe a lot painful. This claim of Jesus is audacious because it's exclusive one way. But at the same time, it's inclusive. And that every single one of us 
is welcome into his kingdom. If you confess with your mouth, Romans says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this morning, if you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are still experiencing these collisions. The reality is that we still live in a sinful world and terrible things happen. And because we are sinful people, sometimes we contribute to that too. And it's a hot mess sometimes. And when we experience those things in life, we go to the word of God for answers. And sometimes, because it's not like an encyclopedia for those of us who are older, or a Google search for the younger people here, because it doesn't have an exact answer for every single thing, sometimes we look for answers from other sources. And we try to fill in the gaps because I want to know exactly why every single time. And it can be dangerous. Romans 8, we believers groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Life is still a struggle even though we have the truth. One of my big truth collisions in life was going to seminary. And did you know that in some faith traditions, it is discouraged from going to seminary? Okay, seminary is basically grad school so that you can be prepared for a life of ministry. You learn about church history, you learn about biblical languages, you learn about leadership, things like that. But a lot of faith traditions say, no, don't go there. It's really cemetery. And before I went, I actually had a couple people say that. And that seems very odd. Why, why would somebody discourage you from taking all sorts of classes to learn more about God? And here's my take on that. Because when you dig deeply into church history, you come to find out that followers of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, have done some pretty horrific things. The Crusades, all the wars, the grotesque power of the popes. If you've ever seen pictures of the Vatican, the Vatican Museum is filled with an ungodly amount of artwork that was stolen, purchased. Why was that money not used for better reasons? And so you have this experience and think, wow, how is it that God has not eliminated all of us? But along the way came different voices of men and women that said, no, 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 we're off. We're off the pathway. Uh, the Protestant Reformation, for example, in the 1500s, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, others, blew the whistle. They said, no, 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 you, you can't sell forgiveness. <laughs> That's not what Scripture teaches. It is grace through faith alone. And even these greats in church history, even they were imperfect. And even myself, I have to look at myself and just close my eyes and shake my head sometimes thinking of the things that I say and do. A few times I took groups of high school kids to Mexico to build a house in a week. And it's a rough, rough week because the group that I went with, they would not let you use power tools. So you spend two days mixing cement by hand, right? 
and then you spend a couple days cutting lumber by hand, and you are just destroyed <laughs> after a few days. And there was one kid on one of these trips that did nothing but complain and sit on the side. And I said something to him one time that I regret, that as soon as I, it was coming out of my mouth, it's like, no, come back. And I, it still haunts me, where I finally went back and found him online and wrote this apology to him. I collide with myself. I, I take some things in scripture that I like and like, ooh, I'm just going to flip the page on that one. And I kind of like the money that I have and I kind of like my lifestyle that I have and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And sometimes I find myself living my own truth. What you and I need to do is live the truth. And this is from the Apostle Paul. There are three things to do for us to live the truth. The first thing that we have to do is to come into the light. This is when we take an honest assessment of what is influencing us. What are the podcasts I'm listening to? What are the voices I'm listening to? Who have I surrounded myself with that are making changes in my life? Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Ouch. We have to be very aware that people either intentionally or unintentionally are after us and our faith. You and I need to choose to step into light, choose to turn that light on and to expose what's in the darkness. It's an ongoing self-assessment. Uh, in a couple weeks, I get to, to meet with a friend. Actually, I met with him, uh, met him 15, 20 years ago in seminary, and he's about 15, 20 years older than me. His name is Charlie, and he has always said the right things and stuff that I, often I don't want to hear. No, 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 Charlie. Just tell me I'm doing a good job. <laughs> tell me I'm right in justifying this action. And he's one of these guys that just takes the knife in love and twists. It's like, no, no, no. This is what Jesus is saying. We've got to find ourselves people like that. The second thing that we need to do to live the truth is to live by the Spirit. John 14, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The word, world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him. Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to God, you have to know that because the Holy Spirit's living in you, you have access to tremendous power. That the Holy Spirit guides you in truth, helps you in your weakness, and brings peace. To live by the Spirit, I encourage you on a daily basis, get into God's word. Spend time in prayer. The third action to live our truth is for us to speak truth. And this may be the hardest of all those. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time to tear down, a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak. Sometimes if we see something like Paul saw, especially if it's so egregious, you got to shout it out. 
you have to rebuke. You have to speak truth into that situation. And it is not an easy thing. About five, six years ago, um, I was part of a, a PTA at an elementary school. And there was a husband and wife duo that were part of that. And their marriage was a disaster. They were both fairly selfish. And so I took this courageous step. And, and for me, it was huge because I'm a peacemaker. Let's all get along. Let's hug it out. And we went out to eat. And I told them, hey, you got to know you're screwing up. And I did it in total humility, giving several examples of how I fall short. But I feel like it was the right thing to do. And the friendship ended. That was it. Gone forever. Completely offended at what I had done. But I still feel that I did what I was supposed to. Speaking truth. If you're thinking about redecorating your house, let's say you want to redo your kitchen. You want to choose uh, the color on your wall. Maybe you want to pick a color like this and a little red, a little pink, a little orange. I don't know if that would be a good thing, right? That would be quite the statement made in your kitchen. Well, there's a scientific phenomenon called scattering in which light rays at specific times of the day when the sun is on the horizon, runs into these particles in a way that it doesn't do the rest of the day so that this powerful thing happens and there's a collision so that you have these beautiful reds and pinks and oranges in the sky. Sunrise, sunset. It is a beautiful collision. When you and I live the truth. When you and I live by the Holy Spirit, speak truth, and come into the light, that is a beautiful collision. I'm going to invite the band to come up right now. And you're going to have a, a chance to respond. What is God speaking to you this morning? What is God pushing you towards? You can respond. There's different ways. We have communion tables in the four corners of the room to respond at what, to what Jesus has done for us on the cross, the life that he has given us. We have a couple folks in the back that would love to pray for you. If you're in the middle of a collision right now, or if you've suffered one and you're still trying to deal with the after effects, go back and tell them your story. And they would love, love, love to pray with you. All right, now that you have been run over, how are you feeling? So what I do have to tell you this morning is that you are loved. You are created by a God who has known you even before you existed. You are valued. You are created specially. And God has amazing plans for you. And each one of us in this room this morning has a second chance. I think about Saul, who was killing Christians, blinded by the light, and given the opportunity to spread the gospel of hope to the world. I think about the governor, somebody with great power, who had everything going for him but was empty, and witnessed God at work, and got a second chance 
And we don't know the rest of the story about him or the sorcerer. Why wasn't he just killed on the spot? Imagine that, blinded. He had a second chance as well. Let's pray. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. God, there's so many of us here today that have so many questions, that we've experienced so many collisions. Maybe it hurts. And I don't have answers for everything. But what I do know, God, is that you created us, that you love us, and you want to give us abundant life now and forever. If you've never made that decision, you can do that right now. You can say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I've been trying so hard to live my truth, but I still feel empty. I want to live your truth, God. I want to live the truth. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you have made that decision already, ask God to search your heart, to search your mind. Where are you falling short? Where are you filling in the gaps with sources that are changing God's word? God, reveal to us truth. We so want to live the truth. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.